So we're starting this new series called The End, and it sounds scary. It sounds so final, like the end of what? What's the end, and, and, and what's going to happen with the end? And I'm really excited about getting in this series. This is a series that um, it's going to be deep. If you look on your notes that I've given you, there are lots of blanks. Somebody in the first service literally brought a package of pens with me. She's like, she showed him, she's like, I've got eight colors for all the different things I'm going to write down. I felt a little intimidated that I should say enough for eight colors. Okay. But there's a lot of blank lines. I hope you'll keep up. I'm going to be talking really, really fast. It's a little bit outside of what I would normally do. But I really feel like the season of time that we're in, we need to know what God's word says about it. And it says so much about it, about 30% of your Bible is prophecy. And most of that prophecy is end times prophecy. So we're going to be covering four major questions that you're going to need to know the answer to. I'm going to ask them and answer those questions. And today we'll get only question number one. And that question is, when did the end begin? If we're living in the end times, when did that begin? Now, I believe we're living in the end of the end times. I'm not a Bible scholar. There are a lot of people who've devoted their entire lives to this subject. And they have studied all kinds of stuff, and they put all kinds of stuff out on the internet. Just since I've announced that I'm doing this series, many of you on Facebook have shared lots of theology with me. Thank you. I know there's a lot of different ways to look at this, okay? I'm going to give you what I think is the most balanced and measured biblical interpretation of the end times, okay? And, and I'm going to dig into that. But I want to just say this. My favorite quote that I'm going to give you comes from my favorite preacher, Billy Graham. He said, quote, I've read the last page of the Bible and it's all going to turn out all right. That's, that's good. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's going to be great for you. I do want to mention one resource that's been really helpful for me, a brand new book by Jimmy Evans called Tipping Point. Just came out, and uh, uh, he, he, he preached the same uh, subject matter, and I really got a lot from him. He is a great Bible scholar, so you might want to pick up that book, uh, Tipping Point. Now, you might be asking, why is this important? And, you know, I think about that a lot because I know that, you know, I get one shot with you guys. And I'm honest that, that the average Christian is not going to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, like I did when I grew up. And so this is my chance to talk to you. Why am I using my chance to do this? Some people think, are you trying to scare people? Or, you know, what is, see, I think people are already scared. In fact, data proves that there is more anxiety right now than any time that we've recorded those data points. There's more people who are fearful, more people that are depressed right now, more people attempting suicide. Did you know that since the pandemic, over half of teenagers nationwide have considered suicide in America? I mean, this is a frightening time. It's affecting families. It's affecting marriages, friendships, businesses, drug and alcohol addiction is through the roof. And what I want to do is tell you that this is all prophesied. This is all predicted that this Bible knows all about that. It can tell you, it told us this was going to happen before it happened. And if you'll come all four weeks of this, I'm going to encourage you. I don't want you to miss a single week. I want you to bring your family and friends, anybody you can get here. And I'm going to encourage you. If you're listening to end times teaching and it's scaring you, you're listening to the wrong teacher. This is encouraging stuff. It's good news. This book is called The Good News. And the best news about the end times is the good news, okay? And we're going to be talking about the good news. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, end times prophecy is not brand new. You know, it, it, didn't, it didn't come about when people started selling movies and books on it, okay? I know you can look at it, and you can look at it in pop culture, religion, and it seems like people are just using it to make a name for themselves. But it's been around for 2,500 years. 
Writers like Jeremiah and Isaiah, and we'll talk a lot about Daniel, and, and other writers in the Old Testament, Joel and Zephaniah and Zechariah, they all talked about it. You, you, Amos, you get into the New Testament, you get writers like Paul and, and John and Jesus. So they've been telling us this for a long time, and it's a third almost of your Bible. And I'm not going to tell you when Christ is going to return because no man or woman knows the day or the hour. But I can tell you we are in the season that he's going to return. We are in that season. If I could hear an amen, I'll move on. It's, it's here. The Bible is going to show it and prove it to us. And I believe I can tell you when the, there is an actual end times season. And I can show you where that began. We're going to start in the book of Daniel. And we're going to show you a, a prophecy that the angel Gabriel spoke. Now we do a 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of every year. We believe it's a way to open up the heavens for God to speak to you. We get that from Daniel. Daniel prayed and fasted for 21 days and an angel broke through demonic forces that were uh, trying to withhold God's word to Daniel. And this is the angel and what the angel said. Now when, when Daniel is writing, he's living in what is Persia in that time. Now, the children of Israel had been decimated. Jerusalem overrun, the wall broken down, the temple destroyed, the people of Israel taken away by the Babylonians to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Then the Babylonians were overrun by the Persians. Now, Daniel and the children of Israel are in Persia, which is modern-day Iran, okay? And Daniel is writing and prophesying in a dangerous way, by the way. He's prophesying that Israel is going to go back to Jerusalem. That's dangerous. They'll kill him for that kind of thing. And also, he might be wrong, but he's not wrong. That's why he's in the book. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> he's going to say some stuff that's pretty cool, and it all comes to truth. We'll start in verse 20 of Daniel 9. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, that's the angel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, Daniel, you've been praying for 21 days, and your hard prayer and fasting for 21 days, I've been on my way to get there. I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So he says, here's, here's the big deal. I've come to tell you something the whole world is going to need to know. And we've held on to this for 2,500 years, so you could know it also. Millions of Christians have learned what you're about to learn. In verse 24, prophetically and poetically, he says, 70 weeks are determined. God has set aside 70 weeks for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression. What, what powerful language, the finishing of all transgression, to make an end of sins, the ending of all sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to finally pay back all iniquity, to bring into everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. There's so much finality in that one verse. He says there is 490 prophetic years. Where do you get 490? There's 70 times seven. Uh, he says 70 weeks of seven. That means seven years. Those are the apocalyptic poetic language. Let's just know he's talking about 490 years. Gabriel is saying God has established 490 years. 
And at the end of those years, the age is over. Now, when I talk about the end, I'm not talking about the end of the world. This is not the end of the world. People think that, you know, that's the end of the world. It's the end of this age. It's a specific age that God has set aside to do everything Daniel just said. To, 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 for Jesus to, to come to earth and live and die to pay for our sins and to be resurrected so we could be forgiven for the Holy Spirit to come and live among us and guide us and evangelize the world. God says that's all going to be done and that's the end of that age. Now, some people call that the age of grace. Now, I'm not a dispensationalist. If you're a theologian, you know what that phrase means. But that there is an age of grace that we live in right now where whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel prophesied when it would happen. Uh, uh, Peter told us we were living in that age. But there will come a time when you can't call on the name of Jesus. You need to know that. There won't always be a time when you can pray in the moment. See, we have been so blessed in America by so many easy ways to call on Jesus. Man, Christian radio on seven or eight different stations, Christian uh, podcasts available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Christian books and encouragement, church services. There will come a time when that is over. And that'll be after the great tribulation. I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. The great tribulation will still be a time of grace, but a severe time of grace. A time where people will still come to the faith of Jesus Christ, but there will be martyrdom and torture, the likes of which the world has never known. People will be beheaded. It'll be the worst age in human history. Now, here's the good news. You won't be there if you're a follower of Jesus. That's the best news I've got for you today. Clap your hands and thank Jesus. He's taking you out as a follower of Jesus. You get to go to heaven. And if you love your family and friends... And if you love the people you work with and you go to school with, you won't go around as a hidden Christian. You won't go around as a, co- I used to call it a covert Christian. You know, honestly, when I was in school, I was mostly a covert Christian through, through high school. When I went to college, I became a, I came out of the closet with my Christianity. I started sharing my faith with people and it changed my life. I hope it helped somebody. I honestly, I don't know how much it helped anybody else, but it changed my life when I stopped being a covert Christian. When you know this stuff, there's no reason for you to be a covert Christian. Man, I got so much to say. Everybody say, help him, Jesus. Thank you. That's a good prayer. In verse 25, Daniel continues. He says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Time out, stop, stop reading. He says there's going to come a time when these awful warlords who have taken us over are going to let us go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. That could get him killed for just suggesting it. But he tells us more about it. He says from that time, the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince comes. There will be seven weeks. Now, we know that's prophetic. It means 49 years. And 62 weeks. There's a division between these two periods of time. That 62 weeks means 434 years. You just do the math. Multiply by seven. And the street will be built again, the wall around Jerusalem, even in troublesome times. So he's telling us more that when the building of Jerusalem happens, there'll be troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off but not for himself. Who's Messiah? Shout his name out at all campuses real loud. Jesus is the Messiah. He's prophesying centuries before Jesus even came what's going to happen to Jesus. Now, 490 years, he just told us there is an end times clock that begins ticking when the people of Israel are released. Nehemiah is the leader at that time to rebuild Jerusalem. And he says, 
In seven years, that's going to be done. It's going to take our, our seven weeks of years, so that's 49 years. In 49 years, it's going to take to rebuild Jerusalem. Why does it take so long? Because he told us it's in trouble sometimes. You're reading that from Daniel. Daniel said it's going to be trouble sometimes. It turned out to be true. Go read the book of Nehemiah. They're trying to rebuild the wall, and they literally have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other hand. They literally are, are building and fighting at the same time, but they knew what they were doing was so valuable and so important. So Nehemiah went back. He did exactly what uh, the prophet uh, Daniel had recorded, and that prophecy was exactly true. You see, you know how you know a prophet is from God? He's right. All these people have been prophesying stuff that's wrong, and they load up TBN with false prophets morning, noon, and night. I know that won't get me on TBN. I'm sorry. I'll have to be y'all's preacher. I won't get to be a famous preacher. I'd rather tell y'all the truth. Is that okay? They loaded up with people who are false prophets. Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and they, they are true prophets. Daniel proves it right here. A total of 483 years. He says after the 49 years, there's going to be 62 weeks or 434 years, and then the Messiah, the prince, will come. And he'll be cut off, but not for himself. Now, let's just back up and see if he got it right. Did that 49-year that, that, uh, period happen? Well, Artaxerxes declared on March the 14th of 445 B.C. that the Jews could go back and rebuild Jerusalem. That is historically proven. So here's my first point you can write down. The end of this age began on that date, March 14th. 445 BC, that's when the end began. I'm telling you we're in the end of the end. That's the beginning of the end. And it's historically proven. You can find it out for yourself. Historical documents have been found. It's just, uh, that, that, that um, Daniel's prophecy, uh, Gideon's prophecy through Daniel, was entirely accurate. Now, Daniel tells us there'll be 483 years from that decree until Messiah the Prince is cut off. Now, in the, uh, in the language he was using, that's Hebrew, cut off means to be killed. Interestingly, it comes from a root word that also means covenant. You know, in the Bible, we talk about covenant. In America today, we talk about contracts. Contract is to, uh, is to um, protect your rights. You, you sign a contract. Covenant is to give up your rights, and you cut a covenant. There is no covenant without the shedding of blood. That's why the Bible calls marriage not a contract, but a covenant. And through the act of lovemaking, there's a shedding of blood. Through the act of a new child being born, there's a shedding of blood. That's supposed to happen in marriage. The Bible, interesting, uses that same language when it says the Messiah is going to be cut off. He's going to shed his blood to make a covenant with you. That was spoken centuries before he was born. Can you feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his word? Even as I say it, I've been digging into this thing for weeks and just saying it makes the hair on my arm stand up. There is such anointing in God's holy word. So Daniel says that's going to happen 483 prophetic years. Well, since we know the day that it begins, we can do the math and see if he got it right. Actually, if you go back and you know that the Jews use a lunar calendar, especially back in those days with 360 years, not 365 years, you adjust that out, you do the math on that, you get 173,880 days from the time Artaxerxes says you can go back and rebuild uh, Jerusalem until a certain date. And that date was April the 6th, 32 AD. You know when that is? That is Palm Sunday, the day Jesus rode a colt into Jerusalem to give his life for the sins of the world. 
Folks, this book is truth. Can I hear an amen? You can look to the newspaper. You can look to your news feed. You can look to the app that you've been following. You can look to your favorite politician if you want to. They know little to nothing. You look to this book, it knows everything about what has happened, what is happening, and what's going to happen. In fact, I want you to write this down in your notes. Don't ever forget this. The Bible is historically true. It's archaeologically true. It's scientifically true. And it's spiritually true. We're going to leave out on the board for you to write all that down. Don't ever forget it. This is not a book. This is the book. This is the book you build your life around. This is the book you make decisions about. This is where you decide, should I marry this person or that person? How should I treat my wife? What should I do about forgiveness? What should I say about my husband? How should my finances be governed? What business should I go into? This book speaks life to every issue in your life. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand to the ends of time. Somebody give God praise for his perfect word. I'm going to get to this in a week ahead, two or three weeks ahead of now. But did you know that, that Jesus basically says he's going to separate the sheep and the goats at the end time, the wise and the foolish. And he basically says about half of people who call themselves Christians are not going to be Christians at the end of the day. Did you know that the majority of seminarians, preachers graduating from seminary today, the majority of them do not believe this book is the infallible word of God. Don't you go down that path. Don't you get so educated that you believe that nonsense? The Bible says there'd come a time when we would, when education would, would explode. Men would be ever searching for knowledge and never find the knowledge of truth. We're in that day. Jesus talked about the end times and he said there would be an explosion of knowledge and people would be searching for knowledge like no other time. And yet they would miss the truth. We have come to that day. Can I hear an amen to that? So Daniel prophesies every bit of that. Now, the book of Daniel, by the way, was in circulation for hundreds of years before this stuff took place, before the birth of Christ, for sure. So, so, so he didn't go back and rewrite the book. There were dozens, maybe hundreds of copies, maybe thousands of copies out there. This, this was prophesied and it came true perfectly. In fact, did you ever uh, think about why wise men came from the East when Jesus was, uh, was born? Did you know that Daniel's prophecy was prophesied in the east. He was living in the east when he's carried away to, to Persia, modern-day Iran. And, and, and so wise men who were pagan uh, worshipers were still studying the books of Daniel, the words of Daniel. And so they knew the season, not the time exactly, but they knew the location and the season when Jesus was going to be born. They followed the writings of Daniel to be there on that day. Let's continue. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. He goes on in the second half of that verse says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So, so he's already told us when the city and the temple are going to be rebuilt. Now he tells us that it's going to be in a time to come. It's going to be destroyed. This is after Daniel's dead and gone, but Jesus prophesied the same thing. After Jesus said these words, it was only, uh, you know, 40 or 50 years later, it all came true. But he said this, Verse, uh, Luke 21, verse 5. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, Jesus said, this was bold. This is the stuff that got Jesus killed, by the way. These things which you see, this beautiful temple that everybody's worshiping in, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, and it's, that shall not be thrown down. Now, that's interesting. Have you, if you've ever seen ancient ruins, Rome and, and in the Middle East, there's like a column standing or a half of a wall. Jesus said, no, that's not going to happen here. Every single stone, not one stone will be left on top of the other. They didn't like that. 
And, and, and he goes on and he says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, I'm going to skip all that for right now. We'll, we'll go to that. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Not one stone will stand over the other. So the first 483 years in Gabriel's, pro, Gabriel's prophecy is proven to the exact date. He says that they're going to be released. They're going to rebuild Jerusalem. And then, and, and then he says, Messiah, the prince is going to be crucified. And then he says, there's going to come another leader and he's going to destroy the temple and not leave one stone unturned. Jesus says the same thing that there'll be a new leader, he'll throw everything off the Temple Mount, and then in A.D. 70, the Roman governor Titus destroys Jerusalem and the temple, and he turned over every stone. Not, not only, even the foundation stones, he turned them over to symbolically say, this will never be built again. He killed a million Jews, and the rest of the Jews were scattered around the world. It's called the Diaspora, and they never came back again until 1948 when Israel became a nation. God prophesied this through Daniel and Gabriel and Jesus. It is not up for debate. It's historically accurate and provable. It all happened like that. So if somebody knows everything like that before it happens, wouldn't you like to know what they think is going to happen in your future? Let's keep reading verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant, this prince of the people, not the prince of God, prince of the people, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he'll bring an end to sacrifice and offering. That's what they did in the temple, sacrifice and offering. He's going to end that. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. We'll get into that in a minute. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, you got to pay real close attention. This is not a day to be doing your uh, grocery list during the sermon or to be uh, texting your friends, okay? you got to pay real close attention. This is a lot of deep stuff. But he's talking about what is to come. And Bible scholars believe that this speaks of the last of the uh, of the 49 weeks of years. There's 490 years. We've already seen 483 of them. There's seven years left. Where are the seven years? 48 weeks we can account for from prophetic uh, words and historical documents. Where's the 49th week? This speaks of the last week. And, 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 and scholars believe that this is the time the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many that there will rise up a global leader and in the Middle East, he'll make a, 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 a peace deal with the people of Israel and, and many others, and that will last for seven years. That's what is called the Great Tribulation. And here's the good news. I want to keep reminding you of this. The Christians will escape that. As a follower of Jesus, not a fake follower of Jesus, by the way, because he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the real from the not real. But you, as a true follower of Jesus, you're going to get to escape that. Say, amen. amen. Say, thank you, Jesus. That's wonderful news. But the Antichrist will confirm this treaty for a seven-year period. The temple will, will be rebuilt. There will be sacrificed. Then it will stop, and the Antichrist will be in the middle of that receiving worship for himself. Now, it's not just Daniel's writings. The writings of Jesus and of Paul give us even more clarity. Let's go to Paul, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him. How many of you know Jesus is coming? Let me stop right there. A majority of seminary graduates today do not believe in the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. They can tell you all kinds of stuff about the eschaton and about the original languages, but they can't explain to me why Paul thought there was going to be a coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where they gathered him together with us. How many of you want to be there when he comes back and gets gathered up? Amen. I'm going. I'm going, is it pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? I'm going on the first boat out of this place. 
Amen. All right. So he says there's a second coming and we're going to gather with him. We ask you not to be shaken. He says, y'all don't freak out about that either in spirit or word or letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. Some, they thought Jesus already come back and they'd been left behind. Uh, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. Look at the capital D that he's talking about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment on the sins of the world. Remember Daniel said, there's going to be a closing out of all iniquity, a payback of all sins. That's the day of the Lord. He says that day's not going to come unless a great falling away comes first. How many of you know there is a spiritual falling away that you have witnessed in your lifetime? The Bible says it's going to happen. Did you know that there was a time in American uh, culture in the Great Awakening that uh, about 80% of, of all people in this country went to church on Sunday? And by the time of World War II, it had gone below 40%. It jumped back up to 40% of people in World War II. When we started this church, it was at about 20% nationwide people going to church on Sunday. And as of 2050, it's predicted to be 11.7%. There is a great falling away. I'll give you one even worse. I, I, I've been watching that for years, knowing that is predicted as a decline. But guess what? Since the pandemic happened, do you know that only 35% of people are going to church the church they went to since the pandemic started. Who could have ever predicted something would happen just like this? It's been an amazing change. By the way, Daystar Church has bounced back for the first time last Sunday. We had more people in attendance than we did last year. Somebody give God praise for that. God's doing something in our church. So he says there's going to be a great falling away. Listen, I've just looked up and I'm running out of time. I'm going to have to speed up. Y'all have to listen faster. Here we go. We're going to speed up mode. Let no one conceive, deceive you, for that day doesn't come until a great falling away comes and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. That means the person who is destined to punishment, that is Satan, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and all that is worship, and he sits as God in the temple of God. That's going to happen in the great tribulation, showing himself as God. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you and, and I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed. Something is restraining the Antichrist from being revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. How many of you know there is a lawless spirit at work in this country today? I thought that verse was true last year. My God, is it true this year? A mystery of lawlessness is revealed and it's already at work. Only he, look at that, capital H-E, God. God restrains God is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who's on the earth today? God the Holy Spirit, right? God the Father sits on the throne. Jesus died for our sins, ascended to be with God, sent the Holy Spirit. He is on the earth, and he, the Holy Spirit, restrains that man of sin, and he will do so until he is taken away. And then the lawless one will be revealed. There's already a spirit of lawlessness or a spirit of antichrist, but the lawless one, the one behind the spirit, the antichrist will soon be revealed. And, and, and there's one thing that is holding him back from totally taking over the world. And it's he, the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit? Think about that. Where is the Holy Spirit right now? He's inside of us. How could you take the Holy Spirit out of this place? They've tried to take him out through legislation in the Supreme Court. Didn't work, right? They tried to take him out with laws and rules against the church gathering. It didn't work. The only way to take the Holy Spirit out is to take you out because the Holy Spirit inside of you, I've got good news for you. Jesus is going to come and take you out and up before the lawless one is revealed. You're not going to be here when that happens. That's good news. 
I'm excited about that. So he's going to be worshipped in the temple. I wish I had time to tell you about all of the epicenter of things going on in Jerusalem right now to rebuild the temple. But for the sake of time, let me get to Jesus' words. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, he's talking about what we just read that Satan sets himself up in the holy place of the temple of God to be worshiped. He says, when that happens, verse 16, let those in Judea flee for the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. If you're in the field, don't go back and get clothes. Woe to those that are pregnant, nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight or your traveling is not in winter or on the Sabbath. Why is it so bad? Here's why, verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation like the world has never known. Stop right there. Great, that's where we get our phrase, great tribulation. When that moment happens in the middle of the last seven years of this age of grace, when that moment happens, the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist is worshipped around the world, the greatest tribulation the world has ever known is going to happen. And according to what we just read, you won't be here. Christians are going to be taken away. Jesus predicted uh, and talked about the second coming. I'm going to get into this in the next weeks ahead. Don't miss a single week. But he said it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Remember when Noah was preaching like a crazy man about rain and building an ark and everybody said you're a religious nut. Let me tell you, they're saying we're a nut right now. You're crazy for doing what you do. You're crazy to believe in that church. That organized religion, it's just man-made stuff. They're, They're saying the same things to you they said in the days of Noah. Jesus said it would be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. He said you'd just be doing life, partying, doing life, just like you were always doing it, having no belief that some judgment was coming. Jesus said it's going to be like that when I come back. Is it like that or is it like that? He also said it's going to be like it was in the days of Lot. Lot was the man whose righteous family lived in Sodom before God rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah for, in punishment for their wicked sin. And the angel of the Lord, how many of you know we're living in a day of wickedness like Sodom and Gomorrah? Jesus said, it's going to be like that when I come back. Here's the best news of the whole thing. Before rain, uh, the, the fire rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent an angel and he told Lot, God won't punish this place until you're taken out. Here's the good news. God's not going to punish this place until you and I are taken out. You need to be ready for this fact. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. The next great event to occur in human history is the second coming of Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait on anything else. You don't have to wait on anything else. And Jesus said this, when you see all these things begin to happen, two words, look up. I'm going to tell you in love right now. A lot of Christians, a lot of my friends, y'all haven't been looking up. You've been looking down. Jesus said, when the end begins to happen, look up. And we've been doing this. It's all about what's on my Facebook feed. What's what's in the news? What are they saying? Pull up next to somebody at a red light and look over you. They're looking down. Jesus said, look up. Our whole world is looking down. There's nothing but lies, negativity, and fear when you look down. There is faith and hope and the second coming of Jesus when you look up. I want to challenge every one of you to look up right now. Right now, spiritually, in your mind's eye, look to the second coming of Jesus without fear, but with enthusiasm. Even so, come Lord Jesus.